Welcome to the UDIA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast, where we learn from members about the property sector and at the same time get to know your industry colleagues a little bit better. Hi, my name is Chelsea and today we're interviewing Brent Thompson. My guest today is the founder of Sierra Group. Brent is a qualified carpenter with an open building license. He founded the company after working in the industry for a number of years. To date, he's developed over 70 buildings with a total end value of 50 million. He won the UDIA Queensland's Young Leaders Award in 2018 and is heavily involved in the Institute, serving on a policy committee and supporting various other initiatives. Driven by a love for property and delivering a high quality home for his purchases, Brent's projects have a heavy emphasis on good design. He's also committed to taking the community on the journey and dedicates time and effort to engaging with his project's neighbours. Welcome, Brent. Thanks for having me, Chelsea. So as you know, the purpose of this podcast is to get to know our industry colleagues a bit better and learn about how you spend your days, what motivates you to get out of bed in the morning and be part of the Queensland property industry. So I'd like to start with, I guess, a warm-up question. Can you tell us what your typical day looks like? I'm pretty structured in the way that I attack my week. So um, we've got a construction arm as part of the business as well. So Mondays normally looks like looking after the construction side of the business, sorting invoices and accounts and catching up on construction programs, things like that. So I like to set the week up on a Monday from that side of things. At the moment, we're really heavily in acquisitions. So Tuesdays and Wednesdays is about acquisitions, Tuesdays for Brisbane, Wednesdays for the Gold Coast. And then on Thursdays, I like to uh, get down to the Gold Coast to look at some sites and things that we've got going on down there. And then Fridays, I like to do a lot of my networking or catching up with um, whether it's financiers or agents or site visits, things like that I like to do on a Friday. So I'm really structured in the way that I attack my week. And then each day kicks off at about 6.30am and try and be in the office before 7. And then I've got a young family, so I like to be home sort of 5.30, 6pm at night each day and try to turn off as much as possible at night. So how do you find work-life balance in the context of the property industry? Obviously, you make a point of being home at a certain time. Do you think it's an industry that, you know, accepts the roles of working parents and provides flexibility? I think that obviously my role, I guess I can have as much flexibility as I want, but that is sort of is going to govern where we get to and how things turn out. So for me specifically, I've made an effort to make sure that I've got a really good work-life balance. But I think property in my in my business is my life as much as it is work. So it's a, bit, it's a bit convoluted. But I think the industry as a whole, I mean, it just depends. It's so broad and there's so many different jobs. But I think society, sorry, as a whole is probably getting better at, at managing those things. And I would like to think that there are opportunities for people to really make sure that they have that work-life balance because it's so important. And my kids are so great and little and they're only going to be little ones. So it's pretty important and exciting to spend time with them. So tell us a bit about the origins of Sierra Group. Clearly you have building skills and from what I've read, it started with a terrace home development in Carina. Did that light the fuse for the passion development or was it a natural evolution for you to take it to the next step? So my dad was a builder and I guess I was always around job sites and in the construction industry. I've had an older brother who probably spent more time with my dad on job sites and things like that, but it was it was always in the family. Dad didn't want me to be in the construction industry and so I gravitated towards property development. Did my work experience with FKP when I was in year 12 and that opened my eyes to the development side of things. So 
I enrolled at QUT to do property economics when I left school and uh, did reasonably well at school. And um, that was important to my parents as well to get a good education. And so three months into my university degree, a friend of mine lost his license and needed someone to drive him to work as a Brickies labourer. And so I started doing that and trying to manage Brickies labouring as well as my university study and one gave way and uh, the $20 an hour Brickies labouring <laughs> <laughs> seemed Just to be a little bit more important. <laughs> and so I made the decision then that I would go and do a carpentry apprenticeship and I guess I didn't think about development back then as I do now in the sense of I didn't have a roadmap laid out for me of what I was going to do when to get where. But it was, I wanted to make money from property. Um, I loved property and obviously I think money is a motivator for people. It's, it's not everything, but certainly sort of drives some of those those decisions. So I thought if I become a carpenter and buy a house, renovate it, make some money and this slowly progress from there. So that's where the original passion came from. And once I started my carpentry apprenticeship, I then went into, I thought I need to progress through construction as quick as possible to make sure that you know, I put myself in a position where I had enough money to do my own developments and also had the expertise to be able to do them as well. So I moved from carpentry to site supervision, took a full-time job doing that in Mackay when um, Brisbane was booming for construction, but Mackay was suffering because the mining boom had pulled a lot of the uh, construction workers into the mines. So I took that opportunity and then came back to Brisbane, construction management, bought my first development site and then ultimately built it. So what was the, the biggest or hardest lesson along the way in those early days? <laughs> Just one. I don't know. The lessons don't, <laughs> don't stop coming. They're probably, they're, it isn't one specific thing. It, 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 you need to apply yourself, really discipline. You need to have a really disciplined approach, really apply yourself, be really conscious about what you're doing across every facet of the development if you want to do a good job of it and make a living out of it because it's a very challenging industry if you want to do things well. And we have had tough market conditions in Brisbane, I guess, over the last five or six years across different sectors. And um, for us in that infill townhouse space, it's been, it been getting more challenging year on year. And so I don't think there's any specific lesson other than just work hard and um, do the best job that you can, yeah. So do you have a, a development methodology and, and any kind of non-negotiables to get the quality outcome you've become known for? We're really design-driven, I think, and we really focus on our end occupants. So I think just all of the decision-making we do is about how is the development going to interface with the community and how are the end occupants going to enjoy living in those homes. So I'm not one on probably having a catchphrase for it, but I just think that all of our decision-making comes from, is this in the best interest of the community? Is this in the best interest of the end occupant? And then obviously applying a filter of, is this in the best interest of our business as well? So speaking of your business, what's your long-term vision for Sierra Group? Do you want to stay in that boutique development space? That answer evolves. I think, like I said, I didn't really start out with a set plan of where I wanted to be. I think that as... I learn more about different development types and we grow as a business. One thing that's really important to development is obviously your balance sheet and your financial position. So as that changes as well, it opens the doors for us to move into different types of development. So I think that our focus is less on, I I guess, saying I'm going to deliver 100 apartments in a complex mixed use. It's more about how can we continue to do things really well, have that attention to detail and deliver good design outcomes? And 
of what scale can that be and in what location. So I, I really haven't got a roadmap for where I want to be, but it's just that we want to stick to our business sort of ethics and, and make sure we can deliver the same standard. I've been lucky enough to go through your Savannah project. It's absolutely stunning and it's deceptive. And I say that because you don't feel like you're on a small lot at all. And I I went home that night and said to my husband, look, I could totally live on a small lot. Sign me up. It's a beautiful, beautiful home. They're both beautiful homes. Do you think there is a missed opportunity in the small lot space with so many SEQ councils mandating a minimum lot size of about 400 square metres? Definitely. I I think that it's interesting because we talk about this uh, great Australian dream, the quarter acre block, the white picket fence, and that I don't actually think that that is necessarily the Australian dream. I think the Australian dream is to be able to live in a home that you're proud of, that offers you the opportunity to live the lifestyle that you want to live. And so I think small lot homes enable people to live in the suburbs where they want to live. They can live a low maintenance lifestyle and still have plenty of house, whether it be for a family or young professionals, whatever. So I think that what we did with those homes that you're talking about specifically is we spent a lot of time on the design and the efficiency of it and made sure that the homes were really functional and the people who would ultimately live there, we considered their lifestyle and what would be important to them. And so I think really those homes just hit that mark of, you know, they've got a yard, but it's just small, easy, low maintenance. They've got a pool, which people like, you know, we live in Queensland, it's warm and hot during summer. They've got five bedrooms. They're hundred meters from the Woolworths, the Camp Hill marketplace, which is phenomenal amount of amenity there. So I think that if we start to look at what people really want, we shouldn't be making decisions about lot sizes. We should be making decisions around what sort of homes do people want and need? And then how can we design those to fit in with the existing community and the existing houses and also manage it in a way that it doesn't create problems for the community as well because things like car parking comes up, which I, those homes that you're talking about, both have double car garages. You can park in tandem on the property. They're certainly not adding any additional stress to the car parking. Visitors are able to park easily on on the property. So I think that there is definitely a way that we can look at small lot homes and different housing typology uh, to cater for the growth of the city. I could be wrong, but it seems to me, well, I think I am wrong since I've been on your Instagram this morning. You have some sites and you've talked about it down the Gold Coast now. But before that, you'd really just kind of stuck to the east and southeast and suburbs of Brisbane. Was there a reason for that? Is it because you knew that patch? Definitely, yeah. So when I talk about the evolution of the business and, and I guess where do we want to be and where are we going, like these things change. So in the beginning, it was about managing risk. And so with that construction background, I've built a lot of class sort of freestanding homes and, and townhouses, we would say class one dwellings. So I wanted to stick to townhouses and I wanted to stick to the inner east because I knew the area. So it was about managing risk. We knew the market. We knew how to build those homes. We knew what they would sell for. So that was really important. But as we've grown, we've needed to look where the opportunities are as well, because ultimately we were running a business and we need to be profitable. And so we wanted to make sure that we were delivering that same standard of development, but in in areas where we were able to make sustainable profits for the business that we could continue to deliver better outcomes. And so that got us looking a little bit further abroad than where we had typically delivered and also got us looking at different development types too. So instead of just focusing on townhouses, infill, we're really looking at medium density projects as well, both uh, in Brisbane on the Gold Coast. Okay. And how, what's it like at the moment trying to acquire a site? It's very challenging. 
acquisitions is very difficult. We've been pretty aggressively working on it for the last nine plus months and we've certainly faced some challenges and I don't think we're alone in that space either. We're in a bit of a funny period where we've seen council in Brisbane change some planning schemes that have made it more difficult to deliver things like townhouses and apartments. And so what we've done is pull a lot of the developers out of those spaces into these other um, areas, whether that be the Gold Coast or inside the inner city frame in Brisbane. And so we've got more competition competing for those same sites. And we also haven't seen a lot of revenue growth, particularly in Brisbane, where during sort of the apartment boom of 2015, 2016, a lot of sites that were purchased, we haven't seen any growth in the revenue of the finished product. So those sites are probably still too expensive to make work in today's market. And so we've got less sites, more competition, and we just got to work harder to find the good ones. Mm, so what do you expect 2021 will hold more broadly for the SEQ markets? Well, it's pretty exciting, I think, the way that the property market is going at the moment. But I also think that this was on the horizon. It was probably just sort of 12 to 18 months away. But COVID's really brought forward that demand. So it's probably caught us a little bit off guard in how quickly that has turned. We were positioning our business to probably capitalize on this, but 12 to 18 months away. That's why we're moving into acquisitions. So obviously we're trying to move a little bit quicker than what we had thought. But I also, I think that the high-end housing market has gone particularly hard. I think what's going to come off the back of that is that the medium house price in and around the CBD, say out to 15 kilometers is going to start to go up. And then that's going to put pressure on townhouses and apartments in the suburbs. And unfortunately, because we're going to have a lack of supply of those because of some planning changes, we're probably going to see a lot of upward pressure on prices for existing completed dwellings and a shortage of new dwellings. And then I would just hope that doesn't create a knee-jerk reaction with how we um, bring on future supply. Hmm. You're quite heavily involved with the UDIA, which we love, may I say. You were our winner of our Young Leaders Award in 2018. You're currently on the BCC Policy Committee. Why are you giving back to the industry? What's your motivation? Oh, I love the, I love the development industry. I love I really love Brisbane. I love the Gold Coast. And I think I love doing things well. And one thing that I've found is being a part of the UDIA is how many people actually are in, feel the same way that I do. And so I've just met some fantastic people who have the same vision for their business and for our city. Um, people both work for the UDIA or other members. And so I've just, yeah, come along for the ride and really enjoyed it. And I've learned lots of things and met some great people and uh, a big part of personally uh, where I want to be in years and years to come is, is like those people that I look up to that have been in the industry for 50 plus years who have really added uh, a lot of value to Brisbane and to the community and um, can provide guidance for people who are coming through in future generations. Who are some of the people you look up to? That was one of my questions. So thanks yeah. for that segue. <laughs> no, <laughs> I did think you might ask that. And it's quite interesting because I think I look up to different people for different reasons. I have some really, I guess, a close relationship with some of the people at Mosaic Property Group. And I, I really like um, Brooke Monaghan's been really fantastic to me and, and uh, as a mentor and uh, they're delivering some fantastic projects. I look up to some of the older statesmen <laughs> of the, uh, of, or statespeople of the industry who I won't mention for certain reasons, but for their longevity, because like I said, it's a very challenging industry. And I think to be able to 
do a, a be in it for 50, 60 plus years and continually to deliver great developments shows their uh, perseverance. And then I think I, I look up to some of the younger people as well who are, you know, real go-getters who are trying to do great things, whether it's from, from you know, sustainability or um, creativity or technology. I, I think there's some great people in our industry as well. So I look up to lots of different people. I went through an ARIA project yesterday, Treehouse at West End. I think those guys are just taking it to another level with the the amenity and the communal facilities that they're delivering and the design and uh, that's going to drive everybody to achieve better outcomes. So, yeah, there's just some some fantastic people in the industry. And I guess my final question is, I mean, as a, a younger person in the industry, you obviously are involved in the advocacy that we do and that's a really big part of what the EDIA does, but it's quite often unseen and I think it's not something that certainly younger professionals at the ADM or DM level seem to grasp could you explain why it's important? Uh, yep, definitely. Uh, f- for lots of different reasons. I think that it's it's probably sad that development is looked upon by perhaps the greater community in a negative light because ultimately the whole city is a result of development, whether it be private or public. And I think that people have this perception that developers are probably in it for themselves and the industry is singular focus and that might be about uh, making a profit. And so I think that we all need to do our part to try and spread the message that we are trying to deliver great outcomes. It might be a minority who have done things or do things in the past or in the future that let us down, but that's like any industry, I think. And you've only got to look around the city and see really how much design-led developments being done, great spaces like Howard Smith Wars or what we're seeing at Queen's Wharf, these major key developments, you can see that people are genuinely trying to create a better place for us to live. And I think even when you go out to some of the communities, I was lucky enough to go through some of Stockland stuff in, in the communities that they're creating. And there's a genuine want to deliver communities that cater for people's lifestyles and parks and schools and bikeways and all of these things. And I think we just need to try and get that message out there that people are genuinely trying to create homes and communities that are going to give a lifestyle to people that's um, positive. So if people want to get in touch with you, Brent, how can they do that? They can go to our website, www.sierragroup.com.au. I'm not sure if you do the Ws, but um, they, we can also find us on Instagram at Sierra Group, Facebook, or myself personally. I'm on LinkedIn. The business is on LinkedIn and uh, obviously Google search as well. I appreciate the time you've given us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the UDA Queensland's Development Drum Podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. And if you want to hear more episodes, visit udiaqld.com.au forward slash podcasts. Send us your comments and questions via marketing at udiaqld.com.au. Remember to subscribe, rate and review this show on your favourite podcast app. We'll be releasing a new episode every month, so we look forward to having you back. Mm-hmm.